You're listening to the Table Church Podcast. The Table is a community in Orville, California that aims to follow Jesus by doing what he did. Love God, love our neighbors, and serve those in need. Find us at thetablechurch.net, Instagram, or Facebook. And now for the message. What I wish I would have known, we're doing a study through... First Peter, uh, uh, really what this is, well, I'm going to go through it right now. St. Paul sent his disciple Timothy, uh, he sent him to Ephesus to address some problems in the Ephesian church. But Timothy is his disciple. Timothy is his mentee. Uh, Paul is older in age now, and so not only is he sending him to address uh, these problems in this church, but as an older man, uh, he's training Timothy. He's passing on wisdom, and so this letter is full of wisdom from the St. Paul to uh, Timothy as he's going to take on some of St. Paul's churches. Um, These are his words to his church community, full of wisdom, full of experience, full of the Holy Spirit, and so uh, we're going to learn from them. Uh, today, our passage has a motto in it. Um, you know what mottos are. Uh, sometimes they're short quotes that sum up life or they guide us to success in life. Um, you know some of them. I, I just looked some of them up. Uh, here's a, a motto from Taylor Swift, which, by the way, I've been enjoying the new album. It's the first time I've ever <laughs> bought a Taylor Swift album in my whole life. I can't believe you're uh, like admitting that on live stream. So good, There's like a record of it. Anyways. Um, if they don't like you for being yourself, be yourself even more. Ooh. So, yeah, you dab know. on the haters. Dab. Um, be kind, be brave, know your worth, and take no guff. Yeah, mm. I don't know who that's from. Empowerment. And uh, the problem with mottos often is is that we don't often consider the source. I looked up my yearbook quote because I was going to try to figure out what kind of wisdom I put as a life motto. Stay sweat. <laughs> and it was, uh, we need to take our place into adulthood so that we could show our parents we really are smarter than them. That was my, oh my motto. God. We really Grady are smarter than them. <laughs> we need to take our place so we could show that we really are smarter than mm-hmm. them. All that confidence of a, of a 17-year-old yeah. just manifest into one quote. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. The problem with mottos is that we don't often consider the source, yeah? That's my question for you guys. Do you, have you heard any good mottos? It doesn't have to be like serious. It can be whatever you've heard that you thought was interesting, funny. Oh, when you first said that, I was thinking, uh, number one, what's the motto with you? <laughs> what's the motto? Hakuna Matata, Timon and Pumbaa. That's, right. That's my childhood. Um, but then I was thinking when you were saying uh, your yearbook quote, my son fell in love with um, Talladega Nights. I can't oh, even yeah. believe I'm saying this. But anyway, so his quote for his yearbook was basically, if you ain't first, you're last. You ain't first, <laughs> and you're when last. I'm thinking of mottos, <laughs> I... <laughs> you could be second or third. Um, but first. also, I'm just thinking of all the things that I said throughout my childhood because I played a lot of sports when I was growing up. Yeah, um, yeah of all the things that we, you know, as we were chanting and when we were going out on the field and, like, things we would say. Nothing is coming to mind right now other than, like, Nothing is coming to mind, right? Yeah. Other than if you ain't first, you're last. Yeah. If you ain't first, you're, you're last. last. Yeah. Matt, a wealth, um, a wealth of motto wisdom. Yeah, go big or go home. That go was big, the one that was really came to mind. Yeah. That's right. That's a good motto. <laughs> so um, there was a show about 10 years ago on MTV, and I don't recommend <laughs> it. It was called Jersey Shore, and it was awful. And basically it was like the worst 
they were 20-year-olds and they were idiots and they were the worst people on earth and they made terrible choices. But what's kind of cool is there's been an arc in this last year, um, uh, a guy who was named The Situation. He was just awful. And he admitted that he was battling addiction. He was battling uh, prescription pill addiction. He was battling alcoholism, which was uh, we saw it before our eyes. And he's just really turned his life around. He's completely sober and clean. Um, he actually was in jail for tax evasion. And um, even through that whole time, he p stayed positive. And what's so funny is he has all these dumb mottos now that he just repeats over and over in his brain. And so a couple of them that were my favorites were like, the comeback is always greater than the setback. <laughs> and I love it. Uh, smooth seas never made a skilled sailor. His name was the situation. <laughs> so, what do they call him now? So, so he he was the situation. Now he's the inspiration because <laughs> he's got his because he's just got these dumb <laughs> quotes and they stick in my brain a little bit. They're pretty good. That's the thing about mottos is they're powerful. They're like these these quick little sayings that are that stick with us. Mm -hmm. The problem I said as we as I said with them is that sometimes we don't consider the source. Yeah. Sometimes they uh, end up defining our life more than we want them to, right? Like go big or go home or something like that. Or if you ain't first, you're last. Which first, is, you're last. It's like that could be really destructive if you are like not considering the source and you think it's good and you like that's how you want to live your life is a super competitive state. We're not picking on you, Clayton. I'm just talking about this <laughs> motto that. <laughs> came from this movie, but they, they have this way of ingraining themselves in them. And, and oftentimes we don't actually define them more often than not. They end up defining us because they're so sticky. They get stuck in us. Our story today has a motto in it from first Timothy one, 12 through 16. Here's our story. And he says, uh, there's a trustworthy saying he's going to get into. He says, I thank Christ Jesus, our Lord, who has given me strength because he considered me faithful so he pointed me to the ministry, even though I used to speak against him. I used to attack his people, and I was proud and violent. But I was shown mercy because I acted in ignorance and without faith. Our Lord's favor poured all over me, along with the faithfulness and love that are in Christ Jesus. This saying is reliable, or this saying is trustworthy, and deserves full acceptance, universal acceptance, he says. Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners. That's the saying. Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners, and I am the biggest sinner of all, St. Paul says. Mm. But this is why I was shown mercy, so that Christ Jesus could show his endless patience to me, first of all. So I am an example for all those who are going to believe in him for eternal life. Yeah? That's the story. You saw in it, there's a motto. You know how I preach, head, heart, hands, also no feel, do. It's the same thing with our head, what God wants us to know, with our heart, what God wants us to feel, with our hands, what God wants us to do. And the first question I always ask is, what does God want us to know? What does God want us to know uh, Or uh, through Paul's words and Paul's experience? The first thing is no one is too far gone. No one is too far gone. No one. Paul is very clear and wants us to know this. No one is too far gone. He says, I used to speak against him. The word here is blaspheme. I used to blaspheme. Paul's telling his story. He says, I used to attack his people. If you know Paul's story, he was, he was a Jewish zealot who would go out and he would attack churches, harm people, harm churches to try to stop them from worshiping Jesus. Mm -hmm. And lastly, he says, I was a proud and violent man. 
the word in the Greek here is hubris, which we use that word too. Mm-hmm. It's an arrogance. It's a thought that goes down into our heart, maybe even to the point of hatred or condescension or looking down. But he adds to it this word violent, that he, that he hated these people so much in his religious zealousy that he would go out and hurt people and kill people. One of the first times we meet Paul in the story is that he's having a Christian killed for his faith. But twice in telling his story, he says, but I was shown mercy. Then he gives us his motto. This saying is reliable and deserves full acceptance. Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners, and I'm the biggest sinner of all. I was shown mercy. See, he's telling his story in a way to try to convey to you that he was an awful person. If anyone deserved uh, wrath, judgment, anger, it was him. He was blaspheming against God, right? He was attacking God's people, literally with violence and hatred in his heart, but God had mercy for him. No one is too far gone. He tells of God's, he tells of his own story, but more so he wants to doubly repeat God's mercy, the mercy that God has for us. He gives us a motto about our brokenness, our sin, our selfishness, our rebellion. Every one of us has that. We all have that sinfulness in our hearts. We don't even know how bad it is. We don't even know how dirty we are. All the evil we see in the world is in our own hearts. We're not any different than the people around us and under different Mm. circumstances with different beliefs and and, and different desperations. Uh, All that evil could come out, manifest itself in our own hearts hearts and we spend so much time trying to manage it the world gives us all these ways to try to manage it or cope with it or hide it and that's what most people do most of their life is they spend time trying to manage the brokenness of their own hearts the sinfulness the rebelliousness, the selfishness of their own hearts through all kinds of different ways food sex drugs sleep hard work people money possessions right all these ways that we're told we can just kind of manage the brokenness that's in there. But ultimately, what we need is a cure, Mm. which we call salvation. Ultimately, at some point, all that junk leaks out and it hurts the people around us and hurts ourselves. Paul says, Christ came to save sinners. I'm the biggest one of all. He's talking about salvation. He's talking about a cure for that brokenness in our hearts. And ultimately, it's Jesus, his life, death, and resurrection. And what he wants to point out is the more we grow in faith, the more we understand our brokenness. The more wisdom we get in the faith, the more we understand our need for God's grace. One of my favorite stories is uh, from John chapter 8. The the community brings this woman who was caught in adultery to Jesus and says, the law says we have to kill her. And Jesus bends down and he he draws in the dirt and they say, well, what do we do? What what should we do? And really it's a test for Jesus of his his covenant faithfulness. Is he going to follow the law or not? Because he's got a reputation for preaching a lot about love, right? And so Jesus stands up and he says, whoever hasn't sinned should throw the first stone famously, right? And he bends down and he draws in the dirt again. And one of my favorite details in all of scripture is right here in this story. Those who heard him went away one by one, beginning with the elders. Because there's something about growing in the faith. There's something about having wisdom in the faith that it doesn't make us uh, necessarily more perfect it makes us more aware of our need for God's grace. It makes us more aware of the sinfulness that we have in our lives, 
right? That growth that we have. So Paul's trying to communicate this to us, that we have a brokenness in us, and, and the more mature we get, the more faithful we get, the more we're going to own that, the more we're going to be aware of it. Paul wants us to know no one is too far gone. No one is too far gone. No one's past is so bad that they can't experience this grace, but we need to acknowledge it. Oscar Wilde, the famous Irish poet, Mm -hmm. says, the only difference between the saint and the sinner is that every saint has a past and every sinner has a future. No one is too far gone. And God's grace is more powerful enough than we could ever know Mm. to heal us, to save us, to bring us to where Jesus wants us to be. Wisdom tells, I'm wrapping this point up. Wisdom tells us we begin to be healed when we stop ignoring our past, but start acknowledging it and letting Jesus heal it and use it. And so my question for y'all, big questions today, because we're talking about big stuff. What's your not too far gone story of God? Could be from you, could be someone else you've heard. Like, uh, what is your, uh, I don't know. Uh, How does that story hit you? Someone go for it. I I think when I was, as you were talking, I have spent a little bit of time on Netflix through this quarantine time. Mm -hmm. And I've watched a couple of uh, documentary series um, about, like, folks on death row that have come Mm -hmm. to know Christ through the prison system and things like that. So when you were talking about that, that's what I was thinking. These folks who have done some unimaginable crimes and somehow in the midst of that have found... um, God and repented and are sorrowful for the things that they've done. Um, yeah. In a lot of ways. It, they didn't change their outcome, I think, on many of them. But ultimately, I just think that was the, my my picture of yeah. not too far gone. It fits perfectly with, I mean, this is Paul saying, like, I've killed people who love Jesus because they love Jesus. And even I, even I. Yeah. I, I was reading a story about um, Jeffrey Dahmer apparently turned his life to the Lord before he was... I believe he was executed. Somebody fact-checked me on that, but, <laughs> I mean, he killed a ton of people. And, uh, for yeah. I mean, it's it's grisly, but it's like yeah. grace for grace for all. Um, I just know that um, tough situations don't last, but tough people do. The situation. No. <laughs> um, you know, yeah, I think those are the best examples, right, of, of people in prison, but... I just think of all the stories, uh, and I've heard this personally several times, of people who are like, well, if I ever set foot in church, it would probably burn down. Oh, yeah. And it's just like, every time I hear that, I'm just like, man, you just don't, like, I think of that Paul quote of just like, I'm wor- I'm worse than you. <laughs> like, I I don't know, you know, it, it may not look like the same. It may not, we may not have the same rap sheet, but um, we are all at the core sinners and have the same, you know, yeah. Fall short of the glory of God. The point of that motto, by the way, from Paul, isn't that he's done a, a, a poll and he's figured out that he has worse sins than everybody else. The point of it, it's a theological point that the more he grows closer to Jesus, the more he's aware of his own need for grace, the more he's aware of his own brokenness and frailties, the more he's aware of his own sinfulness and so the point isn't an actually a comparison. It's that everyone who grows and matures in the faith learns to uh, embrace and hand over uh, their sinfulness to Jesus instead of trying to hide it, mask it, cope with it. Absolutely. We love getting quotes from the, the, from the live stream. Aaron says, a recent example of something I thought was too far gone was a beautiful Monstera plant. Never heard of it. Don't know. 
Um, but it sounds beautiful. That was given to me by a neighbor. I neglected it and lost all its leaves and it turned brown. After several months, I was going to throw it away and just got curious. I put it outside, gave it some water and some sunlight. Two months late. Two months later, I'd have thrown away by then. <laughs> two months later, it sprouted a new leaf. It is now um, has three beautiful leaves and is working on one, a new one. I thought it was dead, but now it is looking more gorgeous than it did before I received it. Man, what a perfect example of yeah. what Christ can do in our lives. My wife has plants everywhere now. This is a new thing in our life. Oh, really? Yeah, she's a plant lady. <laughs> They're everywhere. Thanks for answering that question. Uh, moving on to the second point, what does God want us to feel or experience in this passage through Paul's writing here, this letter to Timothy? What wisdom uh, does uh, God want us to catch and pass on? It's this flood of grace. And, and this is one of those times where we lose something in the Greek in our translation, and so bear with me here. But here's the passage I'm referring to. Our Lord's favor, the word here is grace, charis, uh, uh, poured all over me along with the faithfulness and love that are in Christ Jesus. The word poured here is uper plenazo. You know the word uper. It's yeah, hyper. Sure. Hyper. Oh. Hyper. Hyper. Mm. Hyper. Uh, uper plenazo. I'll make it more uh, our language. Hyper plenazo. Uh, plenazo means a super abundant. It means you have a ton already. It, like it is, it is growing to the point that you are unable to hold all of it. That's pleonazo. And then you add the word uper to it. It's a super hyper abundance. It's like he, he ran out of like prefixes for this word to add to it. It is more than you could ever even imagine. It is a super hyper, super abundance. That's what pleonazo means, a super abundance. So now you have a hyper super abundance. It, it's an over, over, over abundance of grace, a flood of grace. I read one scholar talk about it's a flood of grace. This word is used sometimes when rivers overflow their boundaries, right? Overflow their barriers. This is what the word is getting expressed here when he talks about how much grace it is. Here's a picture of the Nile. I don't know if you know the Nile, but the Nile had seasons and every year they could count on it flooding. And when it flooded, there would be this black, rich soil that you could plant in. And so all along the Nile, there's farmlands as far as the eye can see. And they counted on it. This is how they grew their crops. And then they would have to harvest their crops before the next flood season would happen. This is an idea that Paul's getting at here. He's saying that our Lord's favor, our Lord's grace, super hyper abundantly poured all over him. And when it did that, when it grew was faithfulness and love. It was a flood of grace that in its wake left Jesus's faithfulness and love that are in Christ Jesus. The, the idea that he's communicating here connected to our first idea, which is that no one is too far gone because God has more grace to meet any need. There is no sin. There is no past. There is no amount of sins that is too much for God's grace. God has way more than you could ever even perceive. Way more than you can even ask, way more than you can even understand. He has more grace than there are sins in the world. More grace than the past that we bring before him. No one is too far gone because God, core, God's core characteristic and God's core action towards us is one of grace, is one of favor that brings faithfulness, God's loyalty, and God's love to us 
in and through Christ Jesus. And his spillway doesn't get a hole in it. It doesn't get holes in it. Mm -mm. Doesn't shoot. Thanks. (laughs) Question. Who do you know? Who do you know? Who's a gracious person? And how do you see that in their life? Someone who maybe has, maybe not a hyper super abundance, but demonstrates the character and quality of grace. Um, I just always, I constantly think about him because I just want to be like him, but just Mr. Rogers. It was just like, how is he so patient? And I know there's like not kids in his face on his TV show, but like I even watch videos of him with kids and he's just so patient and calming and gracious because man, kids just are really hard to be gracious to sometimes. Uh, they'll just drive you nuts, as most of you guys we know. Wouldn't, we would not and, know. Yeah. yeah, right. <laughs> and it's like, I don't even have them drive me nuts at home. And I'm just like, you guys drive me nuts. But like, also, they're wonderful, wonderful joy. And I think that's probably a picture of how God looks at us, too, of just like, man, we probably drive him nuts sometimes with some of the dumb stuff we say and think and do. Um, but he just loves us, you know. And so, and he's patient with us and gracious with us. And so, I think of Mr. Rogers. Yeah. Absolutely. Anyone coming to mind for you? Yeah, there's a lot of people I can't <laughs> pinpoint or <laughs> whatever. Uh, I just think uh, my grandma, my grandma, Mary, um, she passed away several years ago, but it's my um, my stepfather who adopted me. It's his mom. Yeah. And I, the reason I say I feel like she is so gracious is uh, when we were, when, when my parents married, she made it very clear to me and my sister that like we were her grandchildren yeah and we were we lived the closest to her more or less and we were the youngest so we were there all the time yeah um and it she just never skipped a beat i mean we were hers and that yeah. was it and and yeah that's awesome there's a lot of grace there a lot of grace yeah. a lot of patience i think of my boss uh mark adams uh there are some times where i'm like he should oh, be man. way madder than this why is he not like he's getting trolled on Facebook. He's and he's so smart and he knows what he's doing. And and I don't know, I just the way he works with us pastors and the way he kind of helps churches in, in Northern California, I, he just has a Super lot of grace. Patient. And I'm like, uh, there's sometimes where I'm waiting for him to get upset or get <laughs> frustrated or speak a harsher word. And he doesn't. In fact, sometimes I'm like, could you like, could you like, <laughs> like get in our faces a little bit sometimes? Uh, and he just has a, a ton of grace. Uh, a ton of patience, and I, I appreciate that about him most days. Most days, I'm like, let's go. Yeah. Come on. Let's go to battle. And he's like, he's no. playing the long game. Grace, patience, that is, uh, that is ultimately what's going to produce faithfulness and love, right? This is what Paul's getting at in this passage. Last point, if you have any questions or comments, feel free to send them as we start wrapping up. What does God want us to do with this passage? I think the better question with this passage is, what does God want to do through us? Uh, and so uh, here's what Paul says. That God wants to make us an example, which is different than make an example out of us. He wants to make us an example, which I find to be the wildest part of the trajectory of this passage. He goes from telling a story about uh, how sinful he was. He, he gives us a motto about um, being the biggest sinner of all, right? That Christ came right. to see, uh, save sinners and he's the biggest of all. And he moves through this passage of grace, mercy, love, faithfulness to where he ends up two, three sentences later where Jesus wants to make examples of us, make us an example to the world around us. Here's what he said. And I'm the biggest sinner of all, but this is why I was shown mercy so that Christ Jesus could show his endless patience. The word here is inexhaustible patience. Mm. To me, first of all, 
So I am an example for those who are going to believe in him for eternal life. We go from sinners to examples in two sentences, not in spite of our pasts, but because of it. Jesus doesn't want us to hide, ignore, not acknowledge it, bring it up. He wants to heal it and use it as an example to the people around us. This is what I hope the church can be, that people who own their pasts, but don't let it define them, but let Jesus define them, that flood of grace and mercy and that, that Paul speaks about multiple times, and, and let their past be an example to the people around them so that we don't hear a lot of like, man, I, I'd like to go to church, but the moment I step in there, it's going to catch fire, right? Like, we all thought that, and we're all here, and the building is still relatively standing, you know? And I think it's a good example that St. Paul would bring himself low to remind, you know, of just going, hey, yeah. anyone's welcome here because look at who I was. Right. And it was a serious issue for him when he became a leader in the church. The Christians didn't trust him because he was the guy that was trying to kill them, right? Mm-hmm. And so he had to humble himself and serve and show and rebuild trust. But he became an example of what Jesus really can do. And what is the example? Not only being shown mercy, not only God's flood of grace that produces love and faithfulness, but he says to show his endless patience right. for those who are going to believe in Jesus for eternal life. Right. In our rebellion in our selfishness and our sinfulness and brokenness in trying to build up our own kingdoms, our own success, our own self, Jesus is patient. Jesus is pursuing. Mm -hmm. He's letting the flood of grace find us in all the nooks and crannies that we try to hide ourselves in so that God could use our story as an example to help others begin their new story. This is what God wants to do in you is to use you as an example as he heals your past, as he forgives you, as he gives you mercy, as he grows love and faithfulness in you. He wants that display of patience to be something that is shown to the world so that they can see that they can also have a redemptive storyline in Jesus Christ. Question for you all. Who was the example that helped you come to faith? I know we've talked about grandmas and stuff like that. Can you think of anyone else? Is there someone that you were like... It doesn't have to be the first person. It just could be someone that was like, spurred you on to faith. Go for it. <laughs> well, being, being born into the faith, I had a bunch of really good examples of just um, my mom and dad, obviously, um, my aunt, both sets of my aunts and uncles that live here, my grandparents. So for me, it was just an extended family thing of being born into faith. Um, but as you grow older it has to become yours it's it's a twofold thing when you're um, born into faith because uh, you know it's like the family's responsibility to bring you up in, in the faith and as for me and my house we serve the lord but at some point it has to mean that extra to you and so i'm super grateful for the 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 journey that i've had because it was just set out early at birth but um, when it did have to become mine, I had incredible mentors. And I think about the Glenn Lorenzes and the Noel Myers of the world, um, uh, people that I just really loved and respected. They were pastors, uh, and we were, you know, high school, college-age dum-dums who thought we were, you know, going to supplant our parents in our uh, fast brains. Um, and you so... make that your senior quote. Yeah, supplant our parents <laughs> with our fra- fast brains. Um, but uh, 
they were just examples of to of, to me of guys who really believed it, really meant it, and were willing to work with their hands. It wasn't just it, it was praying. You know, no one would always say like pray with your hands, like do something about your faith. Yeah. Like don't just let it be something that your family believes and you say, well, I'm a Christian, but that there is work to be done and holy work yeah. and uh, uh, in the making disciples. Yeah. You know, so um, great. They were examples for me. Thank you. Yeah, I think obviously my grandma, my grandparents come to mind first. Grandmas are great. (laughs) Um, But I think what's coming to mind right now for me um, is like you said, when I was getting older and it was becoming my faith, realizing that, man, God just put me in a community that I didn't even know that I was in. Because, for example, your aunt was my first grade teacher. Oh, yeah. Your mom was my taught choir, you know. Uh, They led Bible study. Uh, Polly Bright and yeah. Ed Canoy yes. and oh, wow. Liz and Larry Rue, mm-hmm. my aunt Dorinda. I mean, just all of these Absolutely. people that honestly, I think in the moments I probably took it a little for granted that these sure. people were Absolutely. so rooted and they were just speaking life uh, into me every Wednesday, every, yeah. <laughs> That's right. Right. Uh, but also let's just like sprinkle throughout my day, you know, as uh, teachers and, and choir directors and, uh, and coaches and all the things, you know, your dad, help coach soccer things like that and I uh was so blessed and I think that for me m- moving that one step further what that means for me now that I do realize that is that I want to do that so I want to be the Liz and Larry root yeah. uh for the next generation yeah. you right were, you look back and you realize you were surrounded by a cloud mm-hmm. of witnesses and now so I want to surround my kids yeah. and and kids to come yeah I really resonate That's with good. this passage because I didn't wasn't born you know we didn't go to church all that often I didn't have a lot of faith growing up got to high school and I had my own midlife crises and (laughs) at Mm -hmm. you know 14 15 years old and this example thing is real like I showed up to a youth group trying to party with some kids and you know mess around and screw up and all kinds of stuff Mm -hmm. and I just found a, a bunch of kids that like I wanted to be like, I felt like God had done some real work in their families and in their lives that have kept them away from some of the hardship that I was just barreling towards. And like folks that are on the stage, like Matt and Miranda, I remember Miranda at high school thinking that she seemed like she had it all together. And Matt, I met in youth group and felt like I want to be that guy's friend. They were examples to me and I could just name a hundred more, but uh, this is, this is what brought me to faith. It wasn't that God met me on some road like St. Paul and told me mm-hmm. that I need to start going to church. It was that I showed up to a group of people who loved Jesus and felt like they had something that I didn't and yeah. I wanted it. Uh, God had demonstrated that love and patience and mercy and grace to them in ways that I felt like I did not have. And it, it was the catalyst for me, their example, their love for one another. That was the example that drew me in. God does God's work through living pictures of good news. Rarely is it clouds splitting open. God is going to do what God does through us. Paul tells us here that God wants to make examples of us for the world around us, for those who would come to believe in Jesus for eternal life. It's going to be through you. It's going to be through me. It's going to be through us. This is what God is wanting to do with us, not only to take our pasts, and heal them by flooding us with grace and mercy, but then holding up our stories in a way where we can demonstrate and display the patience of God, the goodness of God, so that others around us may experience the same thing.
This is the gospel in a nutshell. This is, this is what Jesus is doing in, 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 in and through our lives. Let's sum this up even though I just did. No one is too far gone. God's mercy is enough for all, including us and our worst mistakes if we're willing to let him heal them. With our heart, what Paul wants us to experience is that flood of grace, that uper pleonazo, that super hyper abundance of grace that grows faith and love in our hearts wherever it floods. With our hands, what God wants to do through us is to make an example of us displaying his patience, not his pertinence, for those who will come to believe in him. Here's your spiritual practice for the week, and then we're going to pray. What is your life verse? Do you have a motto, a scripture? Mottos are fine, but remember I said consider the source. Maybe if we found one from scripture, do you have one? And maybe share it this week with anyone, your spouse, your parents, your family, your kids, your coworkers. Uh, Do you have a life verse? Let us pray. Father, thank you for this time. Thank you for this story. Thank you for this letter that Paul writes where he gives us a motto that he says is trustworthy and true and is worthy of universal acceptance that Christ came to save sinners and I am the worst one. It's not a happy thought at its, at its, at its face value but surrounded by the shown mercy twice and, and the super hyperabundance of grace and the ways that you want to heal and redeem and use as a living picture to the world around us. We can do nothing but be grateful, which is how you start the whole passage, that you are grateful that Jesus, Jesus, that you would use us, that you would use him. Help us. Help us to acknowledge our pasts. Help us to hand them over to you so that you can heal them, so that you can use them. And we will be sure to give you praise and thanks for your goodness, your super hyperabundance of grace in our life. Would you now pray with me as we move into a time of prayer, uh, the Lord's Prayer, saying, Our Father, who is in heaven, Hallowed be your name, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our sins as we forgive those who sin against us.